The password is reticulated. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Doug Birch, and you are listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. Technological theorist Marshall McLuhan once wrote, the medium is the message. And what he meant by that is every medium radically changes our messaging, what we message and how we message. The medium is the message. On today's show, I want to talk about how social media is controlling what we talk about and how we talk about it, particularly in the area of trending topics. Does God want us to live by trending topics on today's Fairly Spiritual Show? show. I am Dr. Doug Bursch, and I'm so glad you're spending this time with me. Really, seriously, the fact that you would listen to any of these shows is just a tremendous privilege. Uh, I'm the author of a couple books. Uh, the Community of God was my first book. My latest book is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. And some of the concepts I'm going to talk about today, I address in much more detail in the book. So I'd love for you to pick that up if you could. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org to find out more information about what I do. You can certainly subscribe to the podcast, The Fairly Spiritual Show, or just go to Amazon and you can search for the book, Posting Peace. So uh, I want to start with this first concept. We're going to put a couple concepts down and then we're going to find the implication of these concepts in our everyday life. The biggest issue that I want to get to is that many of us are being led in what we focus on in what we communicate and how we communicate based on trending topics. And I don't know if that is a good way to be led forward into the future. First, let's get at what Marshall McLuhan said. I mentioned this earlier. Technological theorist Marshall McLuhan, popular during the eh, late 1970s, mid-1970s. You know, he wrote before that and after, but that was kind of his heyday and his influence in the popular culture. He wrote that the medium is the message. That means that every medium influences our messaging. Uh, sometimes Christians particularly have this naive idea that, well, you know, the gospel's the same, so whatever medium we use, you know, we'll just preach the gospel and the same message will get out there. But the reality is every medium changes the way we message. Now, the gospel might be the same, but there's aspects of the gospel that are highlighted differently depending upon the medium. And, and for any medium, for instance, uh, the printing press, that's the, a medium for writing, right? So writing books, uh, writing long-form material and theology about the kingdom of God. The fact that we communicated through the printing press changed what we communicate and how we communicate. There's certain things that you can communicate well through written uh, language. There's other things you can't communicate as well. Uh, radio would be another medium. Television. All of these mediums have changed the way humans communicate, changed what we communicate, and also changed people's perception of what the gospel is. Well, along comes social media, this new medium, uh, internet communication, and it is changing the way we communicate. So, 
first, I want to put that out there. Let's just think about that reality. And, and I talk about this in detail in many different podcasts and in my book. And so I'm not going to go into all the implications of that. And if any of that's confusing to you, uh, you can get into it deeper. But I would encourage you, if you could learn anything, to learn how social media and internet communication is radically changing what we communicate and how we communicate. And that there are certain aspects of the gospel, of our Christian faith, that are not being communicated in the same way to this generation as in past generations because we're using the medium of social media, our internet communication, versus other mediums. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second principle I want to get at is this concept of segmentation. We are living in a world of greater and greater segmentation. Now, before you just think of segmentation as competing factions, Republicans and Democrats and competing conspiracy theories or those who are pro-mask or are you know anti-mask or pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. Instead of that segmentation, which of course is a form of segmentation, I want you just to think about in general how segmented we're becoming in things like entertainment. We have right now more entertainment options than ever before. Just think of um, video, any form of television or movie, something in the visual medium. We have so many streaming services, right? So you can be on Prime, and Prime has all kinds of special streaming services that you can only get on Prime, television shows that are only on Prime. Or you have Netflix, right? And if you don't have Netflix, you won't know what's going on, and they have all these different shows that are streaming exclusively on Netflix. And you know where I'm going with this, right? So you have Apple has their own streaming service, and there's only some shows that you can get on Apple. And then Hulu has their own streaming thing, and so you can only watch certain shows on Hulu. And then what is happening? Every single um, traditional entertainment, you know, Paramount, NBC, CBS, uh, whatever, the HBO, they're coming out with these streaming services where they have exclusive content only to those streaming services. So at one level, what's exciting about that? There is just a diversity of uh, shows out there. There is so much content being created. But what's the weakness of this? Uh, there are so many shows being streamed. There are so many different streaming platforms. And we are segmented into these platforms in such a way that it's hard for us to unite around a shared experience. So the person who's primarily on Netflix, uh, I don't know, they're watching uh, Squid Games or something. So that's something that they're all about because it's on Netflix and, and they're interacting with other people who are watching that on Netflix. But someone else isn't on Netflix and so they're on Apple and Apple has Ted Lasso. I'm just throwing things out here. Please don't write me about what's wrong with those shows. Like, But Ted Lasso is what, what they like. So on Apple with other people who have the Apple streaming service, it's all about Ted Lasso. Or maybe it's only Murders in the Building with Martin Short and Steve Martin. Uh, and uh, is it Demi Lovato? Forgive me if that's not... No, it's Selena Gomez. I'm sorry. That shows you my age here. I think it's Selena Gomez. Correct me if I'm wrong. Don't correct me if I'm wrong. I'll figure it out after this podcast. But anyway, that show is only shown on Hulu. So even for some of you, some of you know about each one of those shows and you have all kinds of streaming options and you're like, I can't do this and there's too many things to sign on and not another streaming option, but that's what you're doing. Others, you're aware of maybe one, but not the other two. What is that segmentation doing? Well, it's keeping us from having shared experiences. 
when you just had a few, let's think back, way back when there were just a few TV channels, right? When you had ABC and NBC and CBS and that young upstart Fox, right? And that's basically where, oh, I'm sorry, he had PBS too, but PBS was always his own thing, right? So you, you had these stations and then they would become a popular show. And so on a specific night, like Thursday night maybe, uh, the majority of people watching TV were watching Seinfeld. And then there would come a specific night, a season finale or a, a big end of season event where throughout America, millions and millions of people were involved in the shared experience of watching the final episode of a television show. So that then you could go to work, and we've used this term, it's the water cooler conversation, right? At the water cooler, which I don't know if people ever did this in the sense of at the water cooler, but at work, you could strike up a conversation about a shared experience. The shared experiences, you were watching the same entertainment. That has gone, uh, that's in the past. And that's never coming back. We have less and less, or is it fewer and fewer? I think we have fewer. We have fewer and fewer opportunities to have these shared experiences. And that's not just happening uh, at a large cultural level. That's happening within our own homes. Think about the family unit uh, just 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. The family unit right now, if you go into someone's home and Let's say you're there at 8 o'clock, and let's say there's i uh, I'm just going to pick traditional family unit in the sense of we can measure it to uh, the same family unit maybe 30 years ago or a generation before. But you're going to have, what, maybe uh, mom is doing what? Maybe she's on Facebook or Instagram. Now, am I gendering these things? Maybe, I don't know. But let's just say mom's on, on Instagram looking at different things there. Uh, what's dad doing? Well, dad's old media. He has the TV on and he's watching, what, a football game or some sort of show on the television. What are the two kids doing? Well, one of the kids loves uh, YouTube. So he's running YouTube videos, but he's also playing on his Switch video game console. Uh, and maybe he is Insta, not Instagram, excuse me, Snapchatting back and forth with friends as well. Maybe doing three media uh, at once. And then what's the other kid doing? Well, even if that other kid is also using her phone or also gaming or also Snapchatting, she's not looking at the same stuff the other person's looking at. Everyone is looking at different entertainment. Everyone is participating in something different. Now, uh, what's the strength of that? Well, everybody gets to kind of focus in on what they like. What's the profound weakness of this? There are no shared experiences in the family. Uh, we, we joke about this of if you're of a certain age. I remember I had to go visit. I'd visit my grandparents in Spokane, Washington, and they liked to watch the Lawrence Welk show. Guess what? I didn't like watching the Lawrence Welk show, and I don't know of any kid of my generation who did. But here you were at Grandma's house. You had no phone. You had no video game console. Maybe you brought an Etch-A-Sketch with you, but you can only do that so long. You can do, only do staircases so long. And so you're just in the room with grandma and grandpa and your parents watching an episode of the Lawrence Welk show. Now, you might not be watching much. You might be just in the room and playing with something or twiddling your thumbs or what did we do before phones? 
But what happens is, as everyone has that shared experience, conversations begin to be shared as well. And even if people are not talking about the Lawrence Welk show, they're talking in relationship to something, that something happens. There's a song about the Great Lakes or something. Uh, and then someone says, hey, you know, I'd love to go to the Great Lakes someday. And then someone else shares. Grandpa says, you know, I went there once when I was a kid. And you say, really, tell me about that, Grandpa. And then, in the, then there's a conversation that occurs around this shared media. Those conversations are going away. And I, I want to get very, oh, not philosophical, but let's get at some deep stuff here. I, I don't want this to be a simple milk. I'd like it to be some meat that you chew on. I don't want to even give all the implications, but things are radically changing around us and it's influencing how we exist together in community and in our families. You've heard people talk about this, the family mill. That's been around for a long time, right? You need to all gather together to have a family mill. Well, what I think sometimes we were missing in that advocacy, it's not about the mill. The mill is just a shared experience. Honestly, I think you could have the family movie that you watch in the living room or the, the family game that you play together. But the concept of gathering together around one thing, the one thing is we're all sharing in this mill, is that allows for other things to happen. The one thing allows for other conversations to occur, and it creates a unity. It allows us to, to learn how to communicate. Someone doesn't like some of the food, and so they're able to express the fact that they don't like that kind of gravy. Someone else is able to articulate that it bothers them when they don't like that gravy because they fixed it. And you can figure out a way to work through that conflict. Now, you can do it incredibly unhealthy, or you can do it in a healthy way where people learn to express their emotions, their feelings. People learn to listen to other people expressing their emotions and feelings, to come to agreement on things that next time we're going to have brown gravy instead of another form of gravy, chicken gravy versus beef gravy. Doug, why are you talking about gravy so much? Here's the reality. When people have a shared experience, conversations occur around that experience. They did this uh, with men who had recently be, been widowed. Now, this was for men, let's say, of the World War II generation. So we're talking men in general who were in marriages that had pretty strong traditional roles, roles like this, that the women cooked and the men ate what they cooked, right? The women are in the kitchen, the men are not in the kitchen, the man goes off to work, the wife's at home. Now, it wasn't like that completely, but there still was that kind of gendered role differentiation. Well, these men, uh, when their wife died, uh, or when their wives died, uh, were very clueless on how to do some basic things. Uh, basic things like laundry, basic things like fixing food, basic things that their wife did. Now, some of you might be saying, tough, let them just wallow in their own stupidity. But, but the reality is you want every human being to be able to be healthy, especially as they're mourning uh, the loss of a loved one that they love dearly. Well, what they found is if they took these men and said, hey, we want to put you in a support group where you talk about how to do dishes and laundry and fix food and talk about your feelings of your wife passing away and how it means to live alone. When they, when they advocated for putting them in a support group, the men were almost universally not into that, didn't want to do it. And even if they did go to the groups, the groups were awkward. So instead of doing that, they did this. They organized uh, poker gatherings once a week. These men, all widowed, 
uh, in a poker gathering. The goal is what? Not to talk about your lost you know, wife, not to talk about death, not to talk about fixing food, living alone. You gather to play poker. But what happened? As these men with shared experiences begin to play poker, conversations would drift toward such things. So someone could make a joke about food they made that didn't turn out right, and someone else could say, you know what I do, and give some advice. There was greater communication, greater help to real needs, based on gathering for a very simple thing, or maybe simplistic thing, playing poker with the guys. This concept in our culture is being radically challenged by social media and internet communication. The internet allows us to be everywhere all at once. The internet allows us to go in any direction, to find anything we want, to find entertainment in any way we want, just for our specific need. And it allows us to have a home where every single person can pursue what entertainment they want. But what's the problem with that? We begin to live isolated lives. So that I have no idea what my son is doing. And it's not just that I have no idea of what the entertainment he's consuming, but that because we're not consuming the same entertainment, because we're all on our phones or with our earbuds and in our own little world, we're also not having the conversations that would normally uh, rise up if you were doing something together. It's like driving in the car. Driving in the car used to be an incredibly boring thing. And before you had any access to the outside world, maybe you had a book you could read, But if you couldn't read a book, you kind of had to exist in the car. And what happens when you're in the car together? Hey, look at that. What's that? It looks like that cow just had a calf. Uh, Hey, it looks like they're putting in a new uh, shopping center there. I wonder what it's going to be. And then the other person says, I don't know. I wonder what it'll be. Hope it's not another Starbucks. And a conversation rises up and connection rises up. Right now, social media and internet technology is radically changing how we exist together, and it's changing what we talk about. So now when you gather at work, uh, everyone's watched something different. Instead of gathering around one sort of thing that everyone has seen or is aware of, we're all doing different things. Or we're segmented into groups. Here's the group who watches that, and here's the two people who watch this. So this is what's going to happen, and I want to throw out another concept here. Uh, What's going to happen? Humans want to have shared experiences. Even introverts want to know that they're not alone in being an introvert, and they want to know that there's other introverts out there. And if it's safe enough, they don't mind talking with another introvert, whether in a very introvert way, in order to acknowledge that, hey, we're both going through the same experience together. That is one of the strengths of the internet. You can find anyone who's going through your experience, but we're so segmented that we're often in all these little siloed communities with very specific uh, interests and specific experiences. So if we have less cultural things that draw us all together, if we're not watching all the same movies, if we're not watching all the same television, if we're not participating, even sports, there's more sports than ever. If we're not, then what is going to unite us? And this is why I believe politics has taken a greater concern in in the American population, why politics and political speaking and partisanship have become even greater. 
because people still desire to have shared experiences. So that's one thing that we do collectively. Elections are one thing, although some people don't participate in them, but it's something you can't avoid. We all go through that experience. We all see the ads of the Republican and the Democrat uh, candidate. That shared political experience is something that we now unite on. Now, we used to have other shared experiences that weren't as politicized, weren't as angry, weren't as divisive. We have fewer of those experiences, but we still now have these political experiences. So I think you're going to see a rise in that kind of people gathering together in some of the worst ways and maybe hopefully even in the best ways, because at some level, we want to have shared experiences. Another thing that is controlling our shared experiences are trending topics. Because people want to communicate with each other, to be a part of something, to have shared experiences, trending topics are becoming more and more important. Because we're living in isolation, and I'm living where I don't know my neighbors, I don't know my city, I'm not connected to a church, I'm not connected to really any community at all, but I still want some form of connection. So I see what is the trending topic, what has risen up, and then people begin to interact with that trending topic. And this is something I believe we're doing, which I don't know if we're really addressing this. People are not just addressing trending topics because they have a strong opinion about that trending topic. They're addressing these to feel less alone, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So whatever the big trending topic is, which is often some news event, story, it's, it's usually negative, right? Somebody did something terrible, said something terrible, then we can all unite on, isn't that terrible? Isn't that awful? I've noticed with Christians, there's this subset of trending topics where some Christian, our quote-unquote Christian, will just tweet something terrible. They'll post something terrible. Just something that even the majority of Christians clearly do not agree with. And then people will take that tweet and they'll retweet it with a quote and say, isn't this terrible? Or they'll write a blog post about what's wrong with that terrible post. So you'll have like a pastor of a very small congregation that has very limited authority suddenly tweeted to hundreds of thousands of people. That terrible message is retweeted and reposted and blogged about and becomes the main discussion for days on Twitter. It becomes what unites all of us so that that person gets way, way more attention than they ever deserved, way more attention than the influence they actually have in the communities that they're working in. But because we need to unite on something, we all unite on that, what we disagree with, what we don't like. And that's what trending topics become. They become a way for people in isolation who are alienated to unite. Now, it doesn't mean that these aren't important topics. It doesn't mean that I don't have opinions on gun control or abortion or, or any topic or racism. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about these topics. But this is the issue I'd like us to address. Are we focusing our energy on those topics because God wants us to focus our energy on those topics? Or is the medium controlling what we message and what we talk about? I think about this repeatedly when every single person in my feed seems to be talking about John Piper or Mark Driscoll or, I don't know, just throw a name in there. Just where everyone 
is talking about one person. And I think, was that God's agenda for this week? Now, for people who are big on predestination, they'd probably say yes, but I don't believe that that's God's agenda. I don't think God wanted the majority of his Christian populace to focus in on that issue, even if it's an incredibly important issue. Maybe 10% or 5% of the population could focus in on that. I don't know if we were all supposed to be focusing our attention on something terrible a pastor said, or, or just the latest fight about what? What theo- theological issue are we all fighting about? See, as Christians, we have to realize that someone else is setting the agenda for our life, and I'm in this boat. I like Twitter. I don't like Facebook as much. But Facebook has trending topics, and Twitter has trending topics. And we see Christians that are just being led by that. Christians on Facebook, they, something which is forwarded to them, whether it's true or not, everybody else is about it, so they forward it on to someone else. And that topic for the day is everyone sharing the same post about a politician they don't like or about some injustice that they've seen, and everyone is focusing their energy on that, being for or against it, tearing people down, blocking them, muting them, establishing relationships based on a trending topic that didn't come from them but came into their feed. Was that God's purpose for our week? Did God want you to block your nephew or your uncle over a concept of vaccinations? Now, hear me, I have strong opinions. I'm pro-vaccine, I'm pro-mask wearing and social distancing, and I'm, I'm just disheartened by the witness that I've seen Christians perpetuate when it comes to COVID. But I wonder sometimes... Who's setting the agenda for our day? Who's setting the agenda for our relationships? Is this what God wants you to talk with your aunt about? We don't even have those concepts. It's just, I will talk with my aunt about whatever she's talking about, and what she's talking about is whatever is trending in her social media feeds, and I'm going to argue against that. Maybe God says, you know what? Your aunt does what your aunt does, but you... I want you to intentionally bless her. I want you to intentionally share scriptures or prayers or just share stories about what's going on in your life. Who's controlling us? Whose ear do we have? Are we submitted to the voice of God or submitted to the algorithms of the internet? This is a big issue. Because right now, uh, we're living based on what's being fed us And we're all feeding off of different things. And then when we unite on one thing, we're often uniting on the most toxic things. So you don't know what your kids are doing on a regular basis. You barely know what your spouse is doing. You're all looking at different stuff and you're not really uniting on much. And then when you do unite, it's some big trending topic that takes over all our feeds and it becomes sort of some sort of divisive conversation about politics or theology or an event that happened 2,000 miles away from you, or maybe in another country. Do we care about what happens in the world? Sure. Are we supposed to give our best energy to things that happen 2,000 miles away from us? Maybe. Maybe instead of following trending topics, we follow what's happening in our neighborhood, what's happening at our own school board, what's happening in our own city hall, what's happening in our own Christian community. 
where are we supposed to give our best energy? I hope this is making sense to you. I'm not trying to judge anyone or condemn anyone, but I'd like to get us thinking. This world and the technology we use is influencing what we communicate and how we communicate. It's influencing intimacy within our homes and within our relationships. And it's influencing what we focus on in our social media online world. What are you focusing in on? Are you going to be led by trending topics or led by the Spirit of God? It might be a very important trending topic, but is that what you're supposed to give your best energy to today? One of the amazing things about Scripture, and especially the New Testament, is we don't have to know what was going on at the moment for Scripture to speak to us today because there is this aspect of Scripture that is talking about things that are bigger than the momentary moment. Yes, there are problems and conflicts being addressed, but the focus, the primary focus of what they're dealing with, the primary focus of where the energy of the gospel writers and of the the epistle writers is, is on things that are timeless, are greater than the fads of the era. What are we focusing in on? What are you focusing in on? Who is leading you? The tyranny of trending topics is weakening our message. I'm going to try to do a better job of this. I hope you will as well. Let's not be led by the technology. Let's use it for its best purposes and try to facilitate some time where you can do stuff together with your family, with your friends, with your community. Try to do stuff together that builds up and blesses and advances the good news of Jesus Christ. Does that sound good? I hope it does. Hey guys, I so much appreciate you uh, listening to the show. I appreciate your support of what I do. Please pick up my book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Uh, You can find more information at fairlyspiritual.org or you can just pray and God will send you in the right direction. Uh, I want you to understand this. You are a spirit-led being. God is speaking to you, and he has next steps for your life. All right? I will see you next time. Enough.